we are finishing up the series Chasing the American Dream is what we titled it. And I just want to give you a quick preview to get uh, folks who are new to us up to speed. We started this series with the concept of uh, there is an American dream. Um, that, uh, that what we would probably identify as the American dream today is not the original dream that our founding fathers and mothers had for us. In fact, we probably identify the American dream today as materialism. Do you have lots of cars? Do you have nice houses? And, and to the point of the video that you and I are constantly trying to have the nicer clothes, and that somehow is the dream. And what we did in the opening of the series, we went back to the, the origin of the American dream, where it was actually laid out for us by our founding fathers in our Declaration of Independence. And it says it's something along the lines here that all men are created equal. Somebody better shout amen right there. No matter the color of your skin, how much money you do or don't have, your educational level of of interest, uh, of of what you're into, no matter what, all men, according to God himself, are created equal. And then because of that, we have some unalienable rights. We have the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That was the founding fathers and mothers dream for the United States of America, that we would not be controlled by anyone telling us that we could not prosper, that we could not chase after freedom, that we could not have life. In fact, we took that premise of our founding fathers and actually said this and taught you this. That actually comes from the Bible. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is God's desire for you. And if you're not careful, especially if you grew up around the church, somehow many people get this thought that, that, that poverty is close to godliness or that God wants you, you know, just to barely make it and somehow that makes you more spiritual or something like that. And quite honestly, that's not God's heart. In fact, it was Jesus who said, I have come that you might have life. And he says, and the Son of Man literally came to set the captives free. Life, liberty. And then the Word of God is that teaches us that I want you to have joy, unspeakable, and full of glory, happiness. God wants us free. He wants us enjoying life. And He wants us to be happy or enjoying the things of God in this world. And so I don't, I don't understand how we got sideways with that. And that somehow now materialism will make us free. It doesn't make us free. In fact, some of the, the most bound up people I've ever met were some of the richest people I've ever met. And, in other words, they had a lot of stuff. And some of the most dysfunctional people I've ever seen was when watching on television the hoarders show. I mean, can you get any more weirder than that? And they just keep collecting all this junk. And they don't know how, because they're bound to it. And Jesus again said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly and set you free. So that's the premise of the series. We started with, we should be able to pursue life, liberty, and happiness in God. And then we talked about what that could look like. And we came to the premise that to be blessed, to be able to be full of life, to be able to be free from control of bitterness and perversion and alcohol and drugs and whatever else, to be controlled by those things mean that we're bound. To be free from all that and to be able to have all that we need is really to be blessed. And the scripture, God says it like this. He says, I will bless you. And so if you grew up around Christendom or you watch Christian television, you hear them use that word a lot. You just bless. God just wants to bless you and you're just going to be blessed. I'm so blessed. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And if you're like me, after hearing that about the four billionth time, I'm like, dear God. When really it's just an excuse to justify their materialism many times is how it came across to me. But actually it's not the case in scripture. God himself identified that when I use the word blessing, what I'm talking about is my supernatural power at work in your life. 
I am blessing your relationships. I'm doing what you're not able to do. I'm blessing your finances. I'm doing what doesn't make any sense. That somehow you have more money at the end of the month than you did, than you should be able to have. I am supernaturally at work in your life. And we're talking about that blessing and that supernatural work. And we identified three functions of obedience that releases God's supernatural power. Three functions. And, the, and so our second week, we talked about that, that first function, which is the first fruits. It's tithe. We had a key scripture for it. And re- refresh your memory. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And we talked about the first fruits, about God in Malachi says, test me. Test me. I know you struggle with the tithe concept. I know you struggle with bringing your first fruits to me. Test me and see if I won't pour you out a blessing that you can't even contain it. These are the principles that unlock God's supernatural power at work to bless us, if you will, in our lives. The second thing that we identified, and we talked about this last week, was gratitude. And Psalms chapter 9, verse 1 and 2 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I'm going to tell everybody what you've done for me. I am so grateful for what little bit or a lot that I do or don't have. I am so gra- I can't wait to tell everybody. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing. Praise to your name, O Most High. And we talked about last week that if you, God can't, if your attitude's not right, then how can he continue to pour out blessings? So really, one of the key components to the supernatural power of God and work in mind in your life is the fact that we're just so grateful that we get to be alive. That we're so grateful that he calls us sons and daughters. That we're just so grateful and so thankful that that, that that beautiful woman stays married to me. I can't believe it. It must be God's supernatural. I'm so grateful. That gratefulness, literally, just like you do with your children, when they show gratitude, when they show, when they show respect and honor for what you have done, then that releases in your heart the desire to give even more to them. And this is what we're talking about. The third piece, and we'll close out today, the third piece or the third function of obedience that releases God's supernatural power is stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. Come on, say stewardship. And so our key scripture today is out of Luke chapter 16 in verse 10. It says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Can we read it again together? You'll see it on the screen. Say it out loud with me. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. This is a principle in God's plan of action. He wants to, trust, he wants to entrust you and me with the resources of heaven because you've got to understand, God is looking to save the world. He would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But how can they know about the living God unless they hear a preacher? How can they see what it is to be a disciple unless someone who's a disciple comes into relationship with them? And how can a disciple who wants to show the glory of God to the lost and dying of the world do that? if they're so consumed with poverty, debt, difficulty, strife, and all these other difficulties that come to the believer. Friend, let me tell you something. He wants to prosper you. And I'm not talking about pride. He wants to make you rich. He wants you to have peace in your home. Prosperity has a lot more to do with so many other factors than just money. He wants to, listen, he wants to put in you the ability to have good relationships at work. He wants to prosper you in your business. He wants to make you successful in the pieces that you put your hand to so that the kingdom of God can move forward on the planet because we are his representation on the earth. Isn't that good? Say yes. 
The problem is, is when we love his gift more than we love him. The problem is, is when we don't steward what is his, and instead we try to control it for our own selfish gain. These, is, this is where the term prosperity in the church has become negative, if you will, or inappropriate. It's because we are wanting it for our own personal gain instead of for the kingdom business and what God's trying to do on the earth. And so, again, I love this passage. Whoever can be trusted with very little, then therefore can be trusted with much. I want you to know something. As your pastor, it is my heart, my desire, it's the heart of God, that you have so much prosperity that you can give to anyone who's in need. That you're able to pay for young people to go on mission trips. You can go on mission trips yourself. At the end of the month, you've got more resources than you had at the beginning of the month. Come on, somebody. That you ever, that, that when you, if you drive a nice car, that you're not scared at all to pick up a homeless person and put them and bring them to a shelter. God wants to prosper you to where your ideas make millions and millions and millions of dollars. Because if you're making millions and millions and millions of dollars, you can sit down with billionaires and tell them about the power of the living God in a way that they'll never listen to the preacher man. Come on, somebody. God wants to push forward his kingdom business and he wants to use us to do it. But we first have to learn to steward what he's already given us. And this is the breakdown that I see it a lot of times in Christianity and in people of God. And so today we're going to learn a little bit about stewardship. Let's go to the, where God institutes stewardship in the Bible from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 through 30 is what we'll look at. In this passage, this is where God literally, um, after has created everything, he lays out the expectation for Adam and Eve in reference to all that God owns. And so we'll look at verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 29, Then God said, I will give you... Every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has, uh, that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures and, that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I, I give every green plant for food and it was so. So let me, let me explain to you what transpired here. God takes nothing and makes the earth. He tells the oceans where to stop and where to, to back up at. He tells the mountains where, how high to go. He puts the stars in the beauty of the sky. He takes the animals and he brings them up out of the earth. He creates them. He tells the trees to come alive and they come up out of the ground. He causes the rain, the dew to come. And he creates the perfect environment where two naked people can live. Come on now. And not be too hot or too cold. Think about that for just a second. Where they, they don't have any clothes or anything covering their feet. So there's not one splinter, come on, there's not one sharp rock to, to cut their, they are in paradise. He creates it all, and then this is what he does. He says, and Adam and Eve, guess what? I'm going to partner with you. You get to work all of this and have a partnership with me to rule and reign over everything that is mine. If you create it, you own it. Come on, somebody. And God created it all as the owner, and he says, you know what? I'm going to give it to you to work and to enjoy. You get the benefits of what's mine. He said, you get the benefits of what's mine. I, any of you guys ever watch Shark Tank? I love to watch Shark Tank. If you know what I'm talking about, that's where these guys who have businesses and they're maybe not doing as good as they want them to or they want to increase their business and they'll go and they'll try to get a financier and they call them sharks. 
Well, these guys who have all this money, they're not going to just give you their money. They want to own the business as well. They want to see their money make money. And so all the time they'll sit down there and there are two factors whether or not they do a business deal with the person who's trying to pitch their idea. Number one, if they like the idea and they like the business. And number two, if they like the individual and think that they're hard workers. And all the time, it's amazing. We watched one this past Friday night, and we were laughing because the, little la- the lady who's real brilliant, she got, all the guys on the panel were trying to, yeah, I want to I join in with you. Yeah, we'll offer you this much money. She goes, let me tell you something. She said, I think you've got a good business idea. She said, but the problem I have is you. I don't trust you. I think you're too slick. I think at the end of it all, you're not telling me something. And so I don't like you. So I'm not putting my money in, your bi- in the business because if I do, I want to own the business and I don't trust that you're going to steward our business and my money properly. So I'm out. And as she said, I was like, what? She, whop, whop, whop. she just whopped him one good one. You know, at the end of the day, this is what God has done. I've created it all, but I'm going to entrust you to it. I'm going to let you have access to it. Can you imagine if someone from Bill Gates' camp called you, who's still one of the richest men on the planet, and he called you and said, hey, Mr. Gates, pulled your name out of a hat. We're going to fly you from Cedar Cedar Hill all the way to Seattle, and you're going to now live in the mansions and run all of his businesses, anything you want to do. You Look, change all of your clothes, uh, biggest, finest cars, staying in the nicest places. What about my little house in Cedar Hill? Burn it. Because where are you going to be from this point forward? Your bathroom's going to be nice. And just starts lavishing all of this on you. And he says, but listen to me. Listen to me. Out of all of this, you can do whatever you want and just do well with all of my businesses. Can you imagine a couple years into this thing, you are killing it. And Bill Gates says, listen, you're welcome to run it all. You get to be on my private islands down in the Caribbean, all this stuff. But I got one little deal. You cannot go on my computer and open the file that talks about good and evil. And the knowledge about that. You're like, I don't care. Are you kidding? I get access to the private jets. I can go anywhere in the world. I can spend any amount of money I want to spend. Do whatever I want to do. I am living the dream. I can meet with all the famous people of the world. And all I have to do is just don't touch. It's, it, these are my only terms. You can do whatever you want to do. Can you imagine? You don't go into a business deal without somebody, the owner, saying, here's my terms for you to be in this business with me. The owner of the world created a term, and let's look at that term when it came to Adam and Eve. And he created it and set it forth in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And he put him in paradise. He's naked and don't even know it. There's nothing hurting him. Can you imagine? There's nothing. How in the world are the lions and tigers and bears not attacking them? Because God is the owner of it all, and he set it all to work the way he wanted it. And he said, but I give you one term, back to the verse, and verse uh, 16, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree, the thousands of trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, you and I know the history there, that Adam and Eve did eat of the tree, and when you look back on it and you ask people, why do you think they did that? A lot of people talk about the temptation. Well, Satan tempted them. Well, Satan, Satan kind of got them to do it. Listen, let me tell you something. You can't be tempted with something you don't already have a desire in your heart to do. And so Adam and Eve, I, I picture probably what had happened was they were so, they'd been so busy stewarding and working the field that they lost sight of who was the owner of paradise. And they began to think that they were the owner of paradise. And the moment they ate of that fruit, what they were saying was, I am no longer 
a steward. I want to be an owner. I want to be a dictator of what's right and what's wrong. And I don't care about what the terms that you put into place because I own it and you don't own it. I'm in charge. God, you're not in charge. Friend, we're still doing the same thing today. Can I tell you something? That's not your wife. That's God's daughter. You're to steward that relationship. Those aren't your children. That's God's kids that you are to steward. That's not your money. That's his money, his ability in you to be able to make wealth and to be able to provide for your family. That's God doing that. And friend, let me tell you something. You are a steward of it, not an owner of it. The moment that they ate of the fruit, they were saying, huh, we want to be owners. We don't want to just be stewards. And let me tell you what happened the moment they did that. The moment that they did that, sin entered the world. Corruption came into their paradise. Now all of a sudden, thistles are growing up and splinters are coming out of the tree. And all of a sudden now, animals are attacking each other and attacking them. And they have to they realize that we're naked. Why? Because they wanted to be of the knowledge of good and evil because what the enemy did was said, listen, aren't you tired of being a steward? Do you know the only thing that separates you from God, the only reason he's bigger than you and better than you is because he knows good from evil. If you eat of it, you'll be just like him. Really? And then write this statement down, because this is the statement that I made that I feel like really makes sense of it all. Comparison thrives in the heart of the ungrateful. Comparison thrives in the heart of the ungrateful. The reason why we really pushed this last week to be grateful is because Adam and Eve, they're not grateful for what they have. They want to have more. They want to have more. That's why I'm so worried about all you guys being on Facebook all the time and all this stuff. Why? Because you're not grateful for the wife you got because you keep looking at everybody else's wife online. And so you can't enjoy the kids that you have because you're hearing about everybody else's kid just got this honor award and this thing, and you're looking at your kid like, man, you're an idiot. And you're like, I'm ungrateful. And so what happens is you start comparing what you do or don't have to everybody else because you're not grateful for what God's already given and done for you. They live in paradise. They don't worry about nothing. They don't worry about where their food's going to come from. They don't have to build shelters. They're, listen, they're, I mean, they're living the dream in the most beautiful environment ever created, but because of comparison, because of they were ungrateful, they wanted to be like God because they didn't want to be a steward anymore. They wanted to be the owner. And can I tell you something? That still plagues us today. It's not your money. It's his money. It's not my wife. It's his daughter. It's not my kids. They're his kids. And I am to steward them. I am to care for them. I am to raise them up. And I will give an account of how I stewarded what was his. And Adam and Eve misstewarded what God had given them with the one term that he gave them because they desired to be more than he was. Ungratefulness is an enemy of stewardship. Ungrateful. Can I tell you something? You cannot. You, God, God will not give you more until you steward what he's already given you. This is the miraculous power. You don't need a Mercedes. You don't even treat the Civic well. Why would he, he entrust? You wouldn't do that with anyone else. Would you do that with a coworker or an employee? You do employee reviews at your job? Why are they reviewing how well you're stewarding what they've asked you to do? And so you say, well, I just, I just get my paycheck getting home. That's exactly right. And that's why you'll never be, that's why people keep getting promoted around you because they're stewarding that better than you are. That's where the breakdown happens in mind in your life. God is saying, I want to give you billions of dollars. But can I trust you? Because he who's faithful with the little can be ruler over much. This is his principle that unleashes his power. God doesn't want to hold back his power. God wants the earth to be full 
of the people of God's resources bringing in the harvest. But he's looking for men and women that he can trust to steward it. He's just saying, who will steward it properly? When Jamie and I first got married, we were, I was a youth pastor at a pretty large church, but I was top, bottom of the ring, you know, and just getting started. And, and Jamie and I, you know, we, we dated and then, and then, you know, we got engaged. And I went to my supervisor and said, man, had this moment of panic. Like, I'm getting married in four months and, you know, I make $800 a month. That's what they were paying me, $800 a month. I had to tie, that's 80 bucks off of it. I had the privilege of first fruits, $80, you know, that's gone. So now I'm down to $720. And then they charged me rent, $300 for their apartment that they had on the property that they put an apartment and some old building that they had. And they charged me to have a place to live and stay in their apartments. There's $300 gone. So what does that put me down? I'm down to, you know, what is that, 420 or something like that? 420. Then I had $125 a month in insurance for my car. Then I had, you know, I had gas money that I had to pay to go back and forth places. Then I had my, we didn't have cell phones in those days, but my beeper bill was about $25. <laughs> Sorry, millennials, you have no idea what that is, but it was cool in our day. And, uh, and, and, you know, and so when I got down to the end of it, I had $50 a month for food. I bought clothes, I go into the movies, $50 a month for food. It was unbelievable. Had nothing. <laughs> we had nothing. And then we went to get married. And I went to my supervisor and said, I, I, I'm getting married. I don't know if I can finance this woman. And he goes, well, you need to go talk to the executive pastor. Well, we got busy, and I didn't go talk to him. And we came back from our honeymoon, and it hit me. She's in my house now. Oh, dear God. And she has to eat food, right? <laughs> and she uses more toilet paper than I do. We're in trouble. <laughs> I'm a man. You know, I just get in the shower. But, you know, she, you know we got all these issues we got to fix. What y'all laughing about? That's true. Don't, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And, and so, hey. And so, and so I went and I sat down with the executive pastor. I said, listen, um, I, I, I know you know I got married, and I, was, I meant to come to you before. I didn't get, get it done, but I, I want to I request a raise. And he goes, you do? I said, yeah. And I, I said, I, I don't feel like I'm not going to be able to finance us. He goes, well, you should have thought about that before you got married. I said, well, so you're going to give me a raise? He goes, no. He said, we budgeted so much this year for your position. That's what it is. We didn't budget that much more for you. I'm, 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 I'm glad that you got married, but, but we didn't budget that, so that, that money's not there to just give you. I can't just write checks for it. I'm like, but you're the church. You're supposed to give stuff away, man. That's what the church does. He goes, well, we, just, we don't have that ability to do that. And, and I'm like, well, you're giving money over here. You know, you know how we start thinking. And, uh, and he goes, well, you're welcome to go find another job that pays you more, but this is what we have allotted for your position. So I went home, and Jamie and I just prayed. We're like, well, we're going to have a good attitude, and we're just going to do the best with what little bit we have. Well, a couple days into that, you know, the little ladies over at the food pantry at our church gave a call over. It was my day off, and they said, listen, can you come help us move some boxes? They're just too heavy. They're full of food and stuff. And, you know, the little older ladies, and you know, that handed out the food pantry food. And I was like, well, sure, I'll come help. I get over there, and I start helping moving boxes and stuff and just getting it all set. And all of a sudden, I go to leave, and they're like, here. And they gave me, like, three or four bags of groceries. I was like, I came home and was like, look, we have food. And Jamie was like, yes. You didn't know what it was because all the labels were off the cans, you know, because they were the stuff that you've eaten the same food, that government cheese, yeah. And so, and so you didn't know if you were getting peaches or peas, you know, whatever it was. That's what you were eating, though. And then Jamie always talks about the, you know, the box of, uh, what was it with the weebles all in it? All the pasta boxes had weebles down in it. We, that's good protein. Just cook that up, too. But in that moment, we started stewarding the relationship with these sweet little ladies, helping them. 
and God took that faithfulness and he began to provide for us. Are you there with me? This is what stewardship looks like. If you'll take what God has already given you and you'll be faithful with that, God then will multiply that and entrust you with more and more and more. This is the principle of his supernatural power at work in our life. Can he trust you? Some of you are so frustrated about being single. Can he trust you with a marriage? You're not even faithful to your friends. Can he trust you to promote you to leadership position at your job? You're not even able to show up on time. And the boss is supposed to be there earlier than everybody else. Here's the pieces of stewardship that seem to somehow get lost. God wants to bless, put his supernatural power in and through us to do great things. But he's looking for good stewards. And let me show you how Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 19 and verse 12. This is the parable that Jesus talks about with the ten servants that he gives each one of them a minor. In verse 12 of chapter 19 of Luke, he said, and he said, a man of noble birth went, on a distant, uh, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minors, one one each. And he put this, he said, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. And then the scripture continues on. It says he goes off. He's, 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 he's elected as king for his particular area. And he's, and that long time being gone, he then comes back and he wants to settle accounts with the 10 servants that he gave a minor to, which is amount of money. And look at verse 19, excuse me, verse 16 of chapter 19. The first one came and said, sir, your minor has earned 10 more. And he looks at him, verse 17, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge, what does it say, over what? Ten cities. I have become king. I trusted you with, we'll just say, one dollar. I trust you with one dollar. Now you've created ten dollars out of it. And guess what I'm going to reward you with? Ten cities. The one with the one with the uh, that gained five came to me and said, look, I took your one and I, and I, and, and I worked it and now it's five. I've, I've reproduced it. And, and the master says to him, he says, "Woo, well done. Give him five cities. And then the one came to him and he says, listen, I didn't do anything with it. I was scared of you. I was scared that that, that I would lose this and that you would then beat me or have me killed, whatever. So I went and I hid it. And it's been waiting for you to return. And here's what you entrusted to me. And the master says to him, you lazy servant. He says, you, why'd you at least go put it in the bank and I could have got interest on my money? He says, I, I invested in you and you didn't do anything with what I gave you. Listen to me, friend. That gift, that talent that's on your life, what are you doing with it? That intellect that you have, what are you doing with it? That servant's heart and servant, what are you doing with that? That ability to make wealth, what are you doing? He's entrusted that to you, and he will settle accounts one day. And so he comes, and he says, he says I was scared, and so I held on to it, but I hid it, but here it is. And look what he says. He says, take it from him. We'll pick up in verse 26. And he replied, he says, take it from him, excuse me, in, in the earlier verses, and then give it to the one with the ten. And then he replied, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. As he, get, he, as he tells the other servants, take the one from this guy and give it to the guy with the ten, the servants kind of push back on him a little bit, and they say, well, wait a minute. Why would you give the, to the one with ten? He's got more than enough. You know, because typical thinking like you and I would think, you know, shouldn't everyone get a trophy? It's like, no, you lost. You don't get nothing. And, and Jesus puts it in perspective, and he says, listen, no, no, no. To the one who's been faithful and created ten, I can trust that one. Give him another one. And that's what he's saying in the scripture. Listen, do you understand? You said, man, it seems like the rich keep getting richer. Why? Because they're good stewards of their riches. You know, the smarter people getting smarter because they're good stewards with their intellect. Friend, you and I, this comes down to stewardship. 
comes down to, will you be faithful? When I first was in ministry, I had a little assistant, and I had $300 a month that I could spend uh, uh, for, youth, for the youth budget. As the CPA, I was 19 years, the CPA brought me in. And he said, listen, you don't know what you're doing, do you? I was like, no, I stink. And he started showing me how to do it. As I was faithful with that $300, they added it to $500, to $1,000, to it was $3,000. God then blessed me as I went from ministry to ministry. CF and I, we were running almost a $16 million a year budget. This year, here at Church on the Hill, we're going to be almost a million. And one day, we'll be a $100 million a year budget, changing the world, all around the world, with campuses all over the Metroplex and all over the United States and all over uh, foreign soil. God's going to use us to that level. Friend, let me tell you something. If you're faithful with little, he can then use you with much. This is all about stewardship. This is not about if you're smarter than everyone else, if you were born richer than everyone else. This has everything to do with can you take what little he's entrusted you with and take that and make that into something that he says, I can trust more and trust more. We're talking about God's supernatural power at work in his people because he can entrust them. I believe firmly that there would be more billionaire Christians if we weren't so greedy. If we were quick to do the work of the Lord with it. I believe that with all of my heart. And Jesus qualifies that when he says, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Stewardship is really the principle that unlocks his supernatural favor and blessings in your life. So I want to give you a couple. Of, some of us didn't grow up in a family where we were taught how to, how to do things right. Some of you can't even make your bed. Mama never made you. She did it for you. And she really hurt you in doing that. Some of you never taught how to balance your money and, 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 and be good stewards of what little bit you got and turn it into something else and something better. Some of you never had. So let me give you a couple of just practical biblical principles, just practical principles out of the Bible as I have seen it that will help you to begin to steward what God's already given you. Listen, if you'll steward the little car you got now, he'll be able to entrust you with something else. If you'll steward the little bit of tithes and offerings you're giving now and do that faithful, and faithful he'll be able to entrust you with more so you can tithe even more. Because I meet people all the time, well, when I get more, I'll tithe more. No, you won't. If you won't tithe off the little, you won't tithe off of the much. Listen, I want you to know something. If you're a liar and a cheater in sales right now and you work at a little bitty place, how could he ever make you an international sales rep? Listen, these are the pieces that you and I have to learn. So let me give you a couple practical pieces of stewardship. In 1 Corinthians 4.2 qualifies what we're about to teach. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Everyone say, prove faithful. faithful. Say it again. Say, prove faithful. faithful. So I want to teach you how to start proving faithful. Some of the principles that I've learned over the years out of the scriptures. Number one, live within a budget. Live within a budget. You say, well, that's... You know, that's financial peace, so-and-so, this person. No, no, that's straight out of Scripture. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Listen, you don't know how much is coming in. You don't know how much is going out because you don't know how to work a budget. And, and you've got to live by a budget. You've got to know that if A plus B equals C... How much is coming in? How much is going out? You need to either bring in more coming in or cut down how much is going out so that you're not upside down. That's just practical 101 of being a good steward of what God's given you. Jamie and I, you know, we've never made lots of money, but we've always stewarded what God's given us. We had to learn that. And I think that it helps when you don't have a lot that you learn to take, a, take little and make something great out of it. And so, you know, every year we've got three kids. 
and Christmas comes along. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, I'm convinced. The Disney Channel is nothing more than a marketing uh, station to get all my kids to buy all their stuff. You just see the commercial. I got to have that. No, you don't. You got six of those. Yeah, but this is the such and such kind. Like, who cares? But they just, and so every Christmas, you know how much they bombard us on the news. I mean, on, on, the, on all the advertisement pieces, on, they got, the kids have to have it. So what we did was, we years ago sat down and we said, we need to do something for our family that'll be special. Some families, it's a big deal Christmas Day. You run down the stairs, if you have stairs, you know, Hallmark type of movie. And you run down and you throw open the presents until your stepdad and his family comes. Anyway, you got all these issues. And so, and, and, and your stepbrother steals it all, goes and buys crack with the money. Anyway, so, so that was the family I grew up in. And so, and, so, and so we decided we needed to have some kind of family tradition. So we started the 12 days of Christmas. So 12 days up until, uh, you know, December 25th. The kids get a gift every day up until, you know, the 12th day. And so, and, and, and so that's a lot of gifts. And so what we did is we sat down and we budgeted and we came up with a budget on what that could look like. I want to show you our 2015 budget for our kids. So you see my son Cohen over here, Mariah in the middle, and Adeline on the side. And so we had been asking, you know, what some of the things, well, if you're going to do 12 days, you can't do $200 a day. Come on, somebody. Well, you, some of y'all, that's why you're in so much credit card debt. And so what we did was we just, these are, look at these little 15 $10, 14 And what we did was we just bought these little things, cheap things that we knew they needed, things that we knew they wanted. And then we created every day up, uh, during those 12 days this environment where they couldn't wait to go find their gift. I'd hide them in the house and I'd give them clues and they'd have to do songs and dance to get to open their present. It was awesome. We got it on video. We were laughing about it last uh, two days ago. It was so funny. And we've just been doing it. Well, look at how we budget. So we've got got 12 days fully covered i, I got a, he was a 18 year old last last year 164 dollars for christmas 151 dollars. come on you say i spent that yesterday on one gift for her 145 what we did was we knew that we had a certain amount of money that we could we could budget with and we just started finding things that would work they were fun things they were great things we don't have credit card debt some of you are still paying from christmas from 2015 why because because they wanted it, you felt bad by working so much, and you didn't know how to steward what you do have, and so you bought them, or then you're telling them, baby, we just don't have it, baby, we just don't have it. What we did was we gave them what we had, because we were stewarding what was entrusted to us. I can't give you what I don't have, but I can doggone steward what has been given me, and make the great, it, it's so much more at our house about the environment than it is about the gift, because we steward it right. That's just a good example, that you and I, so this is what a budget looks like for you guys who've never seen one, and uh, <coughs> So anyway, and then I would add to that, don't spend what you don't have. Just don't spend it. Don't spend what you don't have. And God can release more to you. Here's a second piece that I would tell you about practically living, uh, excuse me, practically uh, stewarding uh, the things of God. Uh, Number two, organize your workings. Organize your workings. Write that down. Organize your workings. Do you have a daily to-do list? One of the most efficient people I've ever met in my life who accomplished more than anybody else ever know it's man, a man by the name of uh, uh, Hank Hennigan, Henry Hennigan. And I, I, uh, when my parents went to the mission field, I lived with his family. Uh, his son was my best friend. And, uh, and one day I was helping him move stuff up in his attic. He had boxes from high school of yellow pads that every day he wrote a to-do list. This man was in his 50s at the time, and he had stacks and stacks where he wrote a to-do list and would scratch through them when he accomplished them throughout the day. 
and he could go back and say, yeah, 1964, on this day I did this, this, and this, and this. That man was so successful in business, in ministry, in life, in family. Why? Because he woke up every morning or the night before, and he planned out what he needed to accomplish. He stewarded his time, his resources. He stewarded everything about Some of you, you're like, I don't have any time to do anything. That's because you don't steward your time properly. You steward your time. I, I, I budget my time to have recreation once, once a week. To go do something that will keep me from losing my mind. I schedule that. If you call during that time, you're going to voicemail. You know, man, I haven't been able to get him for four hours. He's playing golf. I'm going to tell you that right now. I schedule, why? Because I'm stewarding what I have and what I can do. I'm stewarding so that I don't overwhelm myself or burn myself out so I can keep on a good pace. This is a marathon, not a sprint. We want to get to the end and we want to be saved. Our families love us. Our children love us. Our spouse didn't didn't stab us in the night. We want to do it right. You have to literally, you need to work a plan. You've got to get organized in your workings, in your daily workings. Some of you, you don't even know what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing Wednesday. We do because we got a calendar. And we work the calendar. We work the schedule. A friend of mine who's one of the biggest churches in the United States, 25,000 people, he said the other day in a statement, he goes, I can tell you what I'm doing nine months from now in the middle of the day at a time. It's all scheduled out. So I don't want to live like that. Yeah, I don't either, but I don't have 25,000 people in our church either. See what I'm saying? So, so based on what you can steward is based on what he can trust you with. And so... It, 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 that's just where it falls down at, okay? Here's the third piece that I would teach you, and that is sowing and reaping. It's a biblical principle, sowing and reaping. When I'm from Louisiana originally, so, so we never, we cut the grass because the grass grew accidentally all day long. I moved to Texas, and I was like, this isn't grass. What is this? And they're like, well, in Texas, you got a weed and feed. And so I was like, what do you mean? They said, because the weeds are so bad here. And you know what I'm talking about. If you cut your grass and you haven't weed and feed, what all you do is you take the weeds that you cut and they spread out more seeds, don't they? And then you get, so what you have to do in Texas, you've got to put weed and feed out. And what does that do? It kills the weeds and supposedly feeds the grass, right? The problem is the first five times you do it, you've got nothing but a dirt spot in your front yard, right? Because it's all weeds. But then if you'll keep sowing grass seed and feeding the grass while killing the weeds, you'll end up with beautiful grass. Isn't that right? This is why I don't go see certain movies. This is why I don't drink alcohol. This is why I don't do so. Why? Because if I sow that, I'm going to reap the ramifications of that. That's why I don't gossip and slander and let bitterness happen in my heart. Not because I'm more spiritual than everybody else. I just got better sense than everybody else. Because if I sow that, I'm going to reap that. If I'm unjust, if I'm unkind to other people because I just had a bad day, I'm going to reap that somewhere down the road. And so I've learned to sow where I want to go. I learned to give into the thing that I want to grow and to mature in my life. Some of you have gifts and talents that you are not sowing into, and you're just like, I don't know why God's not doing anything. I don't know why God's not doing anything, because you're not trustworthy with it. You're not stewarding it properly. You have to sow into that area that God wants to use you in. And listen, I got people all the time say, I just feel like I'm called to be a pastor. Good, come up here and volunteer with us. Start a small group. Well, I, I, don't, I can't do that. Well, there you go. There's your problem. You're not willing to sow into the thing that God has for your life. And when you and I sow into it, 
we then can reap it. You know that when you see someone, if you work a business or you have a job, uh, you know, with with, uh, employees under you, you always are looking for the person who is doing what they should be doing to make the business better. And what do you do? You promote them when you don't promote the others. Because they're sowing where they want to go. And you and I need to learn to do this. You know, I, I just got to highlight a couple in our, in our church. Charles and Diane Logan, Pastor Charles and Diane Logan, for 38 years, pastor down in South Texas. Had a great church. God brought that to an end and called them to come here and work with us. They've got, they've got their family here. They want to be around grandkids and so forth and so They sowed billions of seeds in people's life. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that they minister to. Miss Diane led worship all around the nation for the Women's the Globe meeting. And they come here with us and all they got is they can start a small group for us. That's all we got for them. And they start a small group. Why? Because they understand that they have to be faithful and steward what they're doing now. Some of you are still looking at what happened back in the day and you don't like where you're at now so you won't sow in what you have now and you won't steward what God's doing now because you still have visions of grandeur from back in the day. And what they done is they've gotten in there and they just keep sowing in people's lives and they keep ministering. Everybody comes to their small group, gets a word of knowledge, they get hands laid on them, get the devil cast out of them, they get encouraged and, and they usually walk away with a little extra money in their pocket. That's the small group you want to sign up for, by the way. I just dumped them. Anyway, and so, but all, anyone who comes in contact says, Pastor Charles is the most amazing. Miss Diane is the greatest person on the planet. I said, I know. They're like, why are they at your church? And I'm like, I don't know. They're just amazing. They are sowing and being faithful stewards of what they have now. They're not sitting there saying, oh, we missed the day when we were lead pastors back in Texas, back in South Texas. They are doing what they need to do in this moment so that God can bless them and bless them and bless them because they're being faithful with what they have now, not what they had been in the past. And this is one of the biggest hang-ups. It's one of my hang-ups for years because God had used me at one level, and then he asked me to do something else, start a church and see here, and I'm looking at this and going, man, this ain't nothing compared to what I used to do. And that comparison, it literally almost destroyed me because I stopped sowing. I stopped stewarding what I had there because I despised it because I wanted something better. If you keep looking past your kid at everyone else's kid, you won't sow and steward your child. If you keep saying, well, if only we had this, if only we did this, then you won't actually embrace and do what you need to do and what you have right now. Your kid could be the greatest kid on the planet. Invest in them. Your resources, if we don't have much money, you can take that little bit of money, and in God's hand, it could become millions. Steward what he's given you. Turn the TV off, get off of social media so much, and steward what he's given you and do something great. Isn't that good? Say yes. Come on, that's good. The fourth practical piece that I've learned in Scripture is that we need to ask for help. If you're going to be a good steward, you need to ask for help. What do, the, what do the old people always say? You don't know what you don't know. Say, you don't know what I don't know. And they say, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. You think you know everything, but you don't know what you don't know yet until you get in the middle of it. You go, oh, I don't know that. Right? I know that was pretty fun. Well, that's the bottom line is you don't know what you don't know. That's why you got to ask for help. There's a lot of things I'm not that good at. I'm just... I'm just smart enough to say, help. Can I just, can, I want to make this statement to you. Pride and fear are going to make you poor and angry. Ask for help. Ask for help. Listen, you say, I don't know how to budget. Well, go, it's called Google. My Lord, you can watch a YouTube video by the end of the day today and be the best person in this room. I, ask for help. Go, go, get some, go get somebody a little more mature, someone a little smarter than you. I ask for help all the time. 
because I am just smart enough. It's not that I'm good enough. I'm just smart enough to know I'm an idiot. I need help. And can I tell you something? Successful people like to help people who want to be successful. Nobody wants to sow into a sucker who all they do is take, 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 and they never reproduce. But all of us have a tender heart towards anyone who's trying to make themselves better. Can I tell you something? God will prosper you if you will be a faithful steward of what he's given you. So here's some practical ways. Sowing and reaping, as we talked about. Organize your workings. Sowing and reaping. Ask for help. And the last and final piece, you ready? And that is you need to pursue and get to know the owner. Pursue and get to know the owner. Can I tell you something? God does miracles in mine and Jamie's life that blows our minds. Because I'm pursuing the owner. It's his. So can I tell you something? I don't live in fear that his daughter is going to do me dirty. It's his daughter. So, and there are days that I'm like, Lord, I don't know who this woman is. I need your help to show me how to love her as Christ loved the church. I don't know how to do that. I'm pursuing you, God, to show me how to lead this church. This is his church. You're his, you're his bride, not my bride. You're his, I'm just a quarterback. I'm just the, I'm just the equipper. I'm supposed to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's, that's my role in this whole thing. You don't belong to me. This ain't Adam McCain and Jane McCain's church. It ain't the McCain kids going to inherit this. You are his bride. <laughs> I treat you like that. <laughs> don't want to mess with his bride. You are God's. That spouse of yours, he or she's God's. Those are God's kids. That's God's money. If you'll, listen, you, so many times we get mad at God for the, for the bad decisions that we made with his resources. Because we said, uh-uh, I don't want to ask you first. I'm just going to go buy it. And then you're going to have to deal with it. And then we can't figure out why it ain't working for us. Why didn't you bless it? Well, first off, it was mine. This is God. It was mine and you didn't even ask me about it. And so fine, do with it. You want to be an owner? The moment that Adam and Eve decided they wanted to be the owner, guess what happened? It all fell apart and it's still falling apart today. If they would have just been a steward of all of the garden and paradise, if they would have just stewarded it, if they just enjoyed the animals, if they would have just, if they'd have just done, every, if they just lived in obedience to the Lord and not mess with the doggone tree, we would all be walking around naked and not even know it. We'd all be enjoying life, man. We wouldn't have any cancer. We wouldn't have children that are, that are dying from disease. We wouldn't have rape and incest. It would not have happened, but because they wanted to own it and control it. They stopped being a steward of what was his. Businessmen and women, it's his business. Pastors, leaders, that's his small group. That's his church. We're just stewards of it. We ask for help, and then we pursue him. God, I just want to know. Show me how to love my wife. Show me what to do with this little bit of money. I don't know what to do with this. your money. It ain't enough to do anything great with. I've told you this about 30 times, but I'll tell you one more time. Jamie and I were at a place two years ago. Well, we had cut our, our income by 75% to be able to pastor the church here. We had our last little bit of money came in from our income tax. It'll never be this number again. We were like, oh, this is a lot of money for the rest of our lives. It's like three grand. It's like three grand. We're like, what will we do with this little bit of money that will help sustain us? Because, you know, our first thought was we can't even put a down payment on a decent car with this. So what are we going to do with it? And we began to pray. Lord, what can you do with your money to sustain your people? What do you want to do with it? And the idea came to us that we'd start breeding cats. 
We took the $3,000. God worked miracles. We were able to buy European Mancoons in Germany while I was over there preaching. They paid, the, 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 the church paid for me to fly over there with Jamie to preach. Jamie went and we went and did a little divert and went over to this little town, bought these cats, put them in these little basket things, flew them back over, and they've been making babies for us. And can, friend, can I tell you something? They are sustaining our house note from one investment that we ask God, what should we do with it? Ask the Lord what to do. Don't keep jumping jobs. Ask God. God, what would you have me do? How can I steward what you've given me? How can I make it what you want it to be? And he says, I will trust those who are trustworthy. Those who are good stewards of what little I've given, I'll give them more and more and more and more. And we'll look up one day, and the poorest person that's ever been to this church will be the richest person one day because they learned this principle of stewarding and letting God do miracles with his own resources. Isn't that good? Say amen. That's good. Come on, stand with me all across the room. You guys have been so gracious. You got real quiet, so either I was punching in the nose and didn't mean to. <clears throat> amen. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes today as we go to close out. I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy to be your pastor. What the greatest church on the planet right here. As you have your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to ask yourself this question. Lord, am I stewarding that which you've entrusted me with? Am I doing it properly? And then my response would probably be, help! I don't really know what to do, Lord. The Lord wants to entrust you with the resources of heaven to transform this planet. But you got to be faithful in what little you already have. That's what I've been learning. That's what the scripture teaches us. And he wants to teach you stewardship if you'll be willing to learn. So I'm a good steward. He wants to make you a better steward. As I was preparing this message, I sat and wept before the Lord. I wrote down six things that I wasn't stewarding properly. I was so ashamed of myself. I know this. I'm the pastor. I know better. I just wasn't stewarding these things that he had entrusted to me properly. And, I, and, I, and instead of making a bunch of plans, I just cried out. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. You've got to help me. I can make some plans. But many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that will prevail. Lord, teach me. He began to give me insight. I started getting all excited. Because these are his resources to transform his planet to save his sons and daughters and he wants to use us you'll just keep your head bowed and your eye closed our last point today was get to know the owner that's one of the best ways to steward what does the owner expect how does he want it done a man bartered a chainsaw from me a couple years ago he asked me, he said, can I borrow your chainsaw? I said, absolutely. I said, but let me give you clear communication. If you break it, you bought it. And you bring it back better than the way you took it from it. I don't know if he thought I was joking. I don't know if he didn't really, obviously didn't know me. He brought it back. It was broken. He made excuses that it must have already been broken. I'll tell you something that happened. I never loaned him anything again. Never helped him anytime again. Because he dishonored what I entrusted to him. God wants to entrust you with so much. Search your heart, search your mind. Is there anything you've dishonored that he wants to trust, he's been trusting you with? And then right there where you stand, you ask him for help and he will respond. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you don't know the owner of it all, 
If Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, your best friend, I'm not asking you, did you say a prayer when you were a kid at Vacation Bible School? I'm asking you, do you know Jesus as your friend? Is he your best friend? Is he your Lord? If today you come to the conclusion that he's not, in fact, if you were to ask this question to yourself, if I died today, would I go to heaven or would I go to hell? Would Jesus stand there waiting for me and welcome me in or would he look at me and say, why didn't you listen? So many times I tried to get your attention, but you pushed me away. Friend, don't be in that second category. If God is not the Lord of your life, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to connect you together. You say, what do I have to do? Well, Jesus already did it all. He died on the cross. He paid all the penalty for our sin. Your response is just simply supposed to be something like this. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm speaking to you today. You're away from God. You want to be right with the Lord. No one looking around. I want to pray with you. I want to lead you back to Christ. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance, making that relationship right again. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just lift your hand? Pastor, pray for me. I'm away from the Lord. I want to be a Christian, or I want to come back to the Lord for the first time. God bless you. Thank you for your honor. Thank you, sir. God bless you. You can put your hand back down. I saw it. God bless you. Anybody else? Give you about three seconds. Pray for me, Pastor. I want to be right with the Lord. I don't want to live like this anymore. God bless you, sweet love. You can put it down. Anybody? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time to change. I want Jesus in my life. I don't want to live like this anymore. Amen. Saw that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Now, I want to lead you guys in a prayer of repentance. The Lord loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. I want you to mean this with all of your heart. We're going to come to Christ. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray this out loud with those who lifted their hand. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my desires, my wants. And I give myself to you the great owner Jesus forgive me wash me from all of my sin cleanse me make me new fill me with your Holy Spirit write my name in your book of life I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus name you'll just remain standing with your head bowed and your eye closed Father I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand and responded and said that prayer in faith giving themselves over to you. minute with all of their heart. Right now, in Jesus' name, let the forgiveness of God wash over them. May they feel it like, like coming fresh out of a shower. May they just sense that it's right, that they're right. May they know, Lord, all the excuses, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and do that again. I just know, and Lord, may they just forget all that and trust in you. May they feel your hand of love wrapped around them. May they feel you embrace them like a daddy holding them in, in your arms, oh God. Lord, may they know that they know that they're right with you. As you keep your head bowed and your eye closed today, stewardship, the American dream, God wants to bless you. He wants you to have life, freedom, joy, happiness. He's going to pour that out on you. Today was about stewardship. And right where you stand, I want you to begin to make plans in your heart to be better stewards. Ask for help. Make budgets. Plan out your week, your month, your year. Come up with thoughts on how to better steward what God has entrusted. Make a list of what you've been entrusted with. Let God do supernatural things for you. This time next year, we'll all rejoice at the favor of God that what was one minus has turned to ten cities. Come on, somebody. What was one minus turned to five cities. That we weren't, we weren't abusive 
with what the owner had that he entrusted us with. God is good to us. He loves us. Say this with me across the room as we go to leave. Say, Jesus, I love you. Let's say it again. Jesus, I love you. And I want you to trust me with the riches of heaven. Make me a better steward for your kingdom business. In Jesus' name.